Amen. Well, it's good to, like I said, it's good to see everybody today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, that's in the Old Testament. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuels, 1 Kings. 1 Kings 17. I want to talk to you today about illusions. Illusions. And you know, the world that we live in and the Bible is, is full of illusions. Let me all clarify that as the sermon goes on. If you look in, in Webster, uh, illusion is a state or fact of being intellectually deceived or intellectually misled. I'll repeat that. An illusion is the fact or state of being intellectually deceived or intellectually misled. So, and like I said, there's all kinds of illusions, not only in the Word of God, they appear to be illusions, and also we deal with illusions on a regular basis in the world that we live in. Let me ask you this. We have, a, we have a picture I want to show you. How many of you would like to have a new Harley Davidson? Raise your hand real quick. How many? All right, let's see that first picture. Here's your, here's your new Harley. There is your new Harley. How many want to pull your hand back and you don't want it no more? Illusions. That's pretty, that's pretty clever, isn't it? If I had a car like that, I would paint it like that. That would, be, that would be so cool. But we have all kinds of illusions around us. The world is full of illusions. And I'll talk more about those as we go on. But you know, the Word of God is full of illusions also. Things that appear one way... And they intellectually deceive us. We think that this is happening when the truth of the matter is something entirely different is going on. It's an illusion. How many of you seen, who was it, that, that guy, he's older now, but he made a plane disappear. Do you really think he made a jet plane disappear? No, no, for those of you that believe that, no. And for those of you, and one of them would be my, my late grandmother, wrestling is not real, okay? <laughs> WWE is not, I guess it is real, maybe part of it, I don't know. But it's part illusion. It looks like they get hit so hard, but I don't know. I think it's an illusion. A good example of an illusion in the scriptures, if we looked at the, in the book of Exodus, where Moses was leading the children of Israel. He leading them out of Egypt. He was leading them out of bondage. And as they was following him, they was coming to the Red Sea. And it appeared the Red Sea was before them and Pharaoh's army was, was behind them, chasing them. And it appears like their journey might be very short. It appeared like Moses had led them in a terrible direction. It appeared like the plan was flawed somewhere, some way. 
And I'm sure they was thinking already, this just in their very beginning of the journey, they had to be thinking, Moses, what are you doing leading us out here with the Red Sea in front of us and Pharaoh's army behind us? But see, it was just an illusion because God had a plan. He had a plan. See, God was in control. He was leading Moses. And at just the right time, he parted the Red Sea and they crossed on dry ground. But the illusion was that they were to be defeated. The illusion was their life was over. Their children were dead. They had no place to go. That was the illusion. There's another illusion in the scripture. And many people, many people buy into this illusion. And that's the illusion that whenever Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, when he was nailed to the cross. Many people of the day thought that the devil outsmarted God. That all the hopes and dreams of Israel was crushed because their so-called king had died upon a cross. The hope of all of mankind had died and vanished upon the cross. But it was only an illusion because God had a plan. And on the third day, <laughs> he made his plan evident to all. On the third day, everything changed. And then all of a sudden, all the miracles and all the prophecies and everything that Jesus had walked out in his life, it all made sense. And all of a sudden, there was hope for all of humanity once again. That the meanest of mean, the most vile individuals, could humble themselves and come to the throne of God and ask Jesus to come into their heart and, and change them. And that that mean and stubborn heart could be transformed and changed into a loving heart, a kind heart. To me, there's many powerful truths in the Word of God. There's many powerful prophecies that prove that the Word of God is correct. All the way from geography to medic, medicine to science to the astrologers all have proof that the word of God is exactly that. It is the word of God. It's inerrant. It is true. But you know what? To me, the greatest proof that God is who he says he is, and the greatest proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died on a cross and rose from the dead on the third day, is the ability for the, for the God of heaven and earth to take a mean old stubborn man or woman and put into them a new heart. There's nothing more greater. There's no greater proof than that. Has that happened to anybody here? Now, I know some of you, don't make me call you out. And I know some of you, and there was a day that you were mean and ornery, and you didn't have time for nobody. But all of a sudden, something happened to you. 
when you gave your heart over to Christ and asked him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, God changed you on the inside. The Ephesians says that you went from being a child of wrath or a child of judgment to being a child of God. You were born again. Born again from the spirit of God. A spirit of love and compassion. You see, it was an illusion that the devil had won. <laughs> he didn't win. He just played into the plan that God already had laid out. There's another illusion in the scriptures. And a lot of people think this. You might even be here today and, and you might think this, that the commandments of God are a hindrance. The commandments of God are, they're like a bondage and they suffocate you. And that you have this list of do's and don'ts. Well, let me tell you, that's an illusion. Because the commandments of God, they set us free. You don't have to be tied to that addiction no more. You don't have to be tied to that habit no more. You don't have to be mean and judgmental no more. No, the commandments of God, they set us free. It's an illusion. But the truth will set us free. They will set us free. You know, if, if we will follow God and he sets us free, we will experience more of life than we could ever experience on our own. Ever experience on our own. Let's go ahead and go to 1 Kings 17. This is a story of Elijah, 1 Kings 17. I don't know whether to read all of this or, or just part of it. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ad-lib something. I hope you've got your Bibles today. 1 Kings 17, verse one, it talks about what this is. God speaks to his prophet Elijah and he tells them that there's gonna be a drought and it's gonna be a long drought. But just like in the world today, if we will have our ear toward God, he will tell us how to navigate through difficult situations. Not one amen. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. If we will have our ear to God and our focus on the word of God, he will tell us and lead us how to navigate through difficult situations. Hey, there we go. And it doesn't matter if that difficult situation is in your family or at work or in your finances. It doesn't matter because God wants you to be successful. You're his children. You're his child. I tell you, if there's anything I want for my children, I want them to, be, to live a long, satisfying, and successful life. God wants even better. So this is God. He comes to Elijah, his prophet, and he tells them how to survive. We'll pick up in verse 2. And it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide at the Kareth Brook near where, where it enters the Jordan River. And he says, Drink of the brook and eat what the, what the raven brings you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now everybody say with me, say commanded. Amen. So here you have the prophet of God, and God laid before him a plan. He told him to go to the brook, and you can drink from the brook. And he says, I'm gonna, I have commanded 
ravens to bring you food. So everything is all set up, okay? All right, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read verse five. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. Very key right there. Oh, Elijah, he obeyed God. That's key in all of our lives. And he camped beside the Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But then verse 7, it said, but after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now, verse 8 is where it gets interesting. This is where the illusion begins. Now, notice this. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, of the city of Sodom, and I have instructed, another translation says commanded, everybody say commanded with me. Commanded. Commanded. Says I have commanded or instructed a widow there to feed you. Now that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? That God would command a widow woman. The only thing I could think is at this part of the, in this juncture of the story, she must have been a wealthy widow woman, right? I mean, why would, why would God send his prophet, his man to a widow woman and have the widow woman provide for his man in the middle of a drought? Why would God do that? That don't seem very, that don't seem very godly, does it? That doesn't seem very compassionate. Not at all. So verse 10 says, So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gate's village, he saw a widow there gathering sticks. And he said to her, Would you please bring me a a, a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, And bring me a bite of bread also. Verse 12, But she said, I swear to you, by the Lord your God, so, and that is important, by the Lord your God. So she was aware that this was a man of God. So that tells us that, that she, she was a woman of God. So, so let's go ahead. And we've already read how God had commanded her. I'll repeat that. God had commanded her. God had given her specific instructions, right? Just like he does us. Verse 12, but she said, I swear to you by the Lord your God that I do not have a single piece of bread in my house. Now here, I, I thought for sure that she was going to be a wealthy widow woman. But here, she didn't even have a piece of bread in her house. And she goes on and it says, I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook the last meal, and my son and I are going to die. See, that was her plan. That's as far as her faith could get her. That's as far down the road as she could see. She had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And all she could imagine in her head is her and her son, she's going to make them one last meal, and they're going to eat it, and then life is over for them. They have no more. They've exhausted all of their finances. Life is over. But remember, God had commanded her. Remember that? God had commanded her. Let's go ahead and read. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. You know, it seems like fear most of the time 
Fear is what keeps us from obeying God's command. Can you relate to that? You know, I, I have known individuals, and it's such tragic, and I'm not making fun in, by any stretch of the imagination. And if you're like that here today, we want to pray for you at the end of the service. But I have known individuals that will not get out of their house because of fear. They would not go to their, to their children and their grandchildren events, not because they didn't love them, or not because they didn't want to, but because of fear. Fear is a terrible thing. But Elijah tells her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just as you have said. But notice what he said. Because, now listen, remember, God had already commanded her. So she had a decision to make. Am I going to obey God? Am I going to do what God has commanded me to go to do? Am I going to follow God's path? Am I going to follow his direction? Or am I going to stay with my original plan? Make me and my son a meal. We're going to eat that meal and we're going to die. She had a choice to make. Really what it amounts to, she had a choice to whether she was going to allow God to have an active part in her life or not. She had a choice to make. Just like all of us sitting here today. From the first time, that, the first moments that you walk in that door and that first note is played for in praise and worship, you have a choice to make. And am I going to sit here and focus on the bad week I've had, the bad life I've had, the terrible year I've had? Or are we going to set my life aside and focus on the creator of the world, the creator of the universe? Are we going to give him our, the praise that's due? Or are we going to focus on ourselves? I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. What it's designed to do is to focus on him. And see, if we'll focus on him, our stuff seems way, way small. Because he has the answer. He wants to be active in our lives. And that's what we see here. So it goes on. He says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you have said. But make a little bread for me first. And then use what's left. Prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will be always be flour and oil left in your container until the time that it rains again. This was an illusion. She was, she was so concerned about the drought and everything, and she had a decision to make. She had the word from God. God had commanded her. She had heard what she should do, but in front of her was an illusion of drought, of no oil, of no flour, and her and her son was going to die. So she had the uh, opportunity to believe the illusion or follow the truth that God had already set out, that God had already planned. That's where we are many times today. We have these illusions, these things that, that, that pull at us and try to pull us away from the Lord and away from our spouse and away from doing right. But they're not based on truth. They're based on false happiness, false contentment, false things that, that, that you'll never find satisfaction in. You know, when, when I was 27 years old, I finally realized that God didn't want to destroy my life. He didn't want to take my life and, and, and destroy it and me to never have no joy or no happiness again. That wasn't what it was about at all. God wanted to take my life 
and, in, and infuse his will into my hopes and my dreams and make my life better. See, that's what it's all about. For, for some of you are even thinking here today that, oh, I don't want to give up all my friends. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. And I know how them Christians are. They're all goody two-shoes. No, I want to tell you, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's when you're actually able to start living. That's when life begins. That's right. That's when you, was that my wife? Bless her heart. <clears throat> it's true. It's true. So I got, some que- I, got, I got some questions for you. I'm almost done. Stay with me just for a minute. So now think about this. Why couldn't God just have the ravens continue to feed Elijah? Why couldn't he do that? He had done it before, right? Why couldn't he give him water out of a rock? God had done that before, right? Why couldn't he do these things? Why couldn't, uh, you know, why couldn't he do it like he did the children of Israel and just every morning when, when he woke up, there wouldn't be manna on the ground. Why couldn't God provide like that? He could have, couldn't he? Well, why couldn't he uh, give Elijah quail like he did the children of Israel in the wilderness? Why couldn't he just have quail come and provide for him like that? He could have, couldn't he? But so there's all kinds of different ways that God could have provided for his prophet, for his man. There's all kinds of ways. But here's the illusion. It wasn't because God needed his man, his prophet provided for. The illusion is that his man was going to be taken care of. There's no doubt about that. But the thing about it is the widow woman needed to give. The widow woman needed to release. The widow woman needed God active in her life where she was. But see, if we, if we look at it, if, we, if we're not careful, if we look at it, we think, how dare God put that widow woman on a spot like that? How dare him do that? Here she's a widow woman, and she's, and she's dead broke, and God sends his man for her, to, for her to feed him. Shame on him. No, God had a plan. And God's plan was for the widow woman to give what she had. Her very last but see, God, and that, a lot of us is in that situation even today. God knows if we will just let him, let him have our very last of what we have, after we've made a complete mess of everything, if we'll just come and give our last little bit to him, he'll turn it around for us. He'll turn it around for us. He'll change things. You know, I tell you, probably most of you sitting here today, you didn't come to God when he was riding on top of the mountain. Most of you coming today, because I, I know a lot of you, most of you came to God when you was at the lowest of the lows. See, that's when, that's when we need help. You know, as long as the finances are good, as long as the health is good, see, we're good, we don't need God then. But when we get to a point where a low point in our life, we finally figure out that we don't have all the answers. And that's when we got to turn to God. Although the best way is to turn to God before you get to that point. Amen. Stand with me, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, Lord. Bow your heads with me, will you please? Heavenly Father, we do praise you this day and we worship you, Father. Father, I just pray that you'll take these few words that I have spoken and the truths that come from your word and I just pray that it has spoken to hearts today. And Father, it's our goal, Father, to lift you up and to magnify you that uh, all men will be drawn unto you. And Father, I just pray, Father, that if there's individuals here today that's never received you as their Lord and Savior, that's never called upon the name of Jesus to forgive them of their sins, I pray, Father, that they will do that today and that you'll minister to them today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of the greatest illusions of all. You want to hear about one of the greatest illusions of all? This is it. I, I thought this for years. And this is it. Good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. And some do. But you know what? Good people also go to hell too. For a long time in my life, I thought I was a good person. And if you would ask me, I said, no, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. You know, I'd, I always tried to be friendly. I'd wave at people. You know, if I knew somebody that needed 20 bucks, I'd loan them 20 bucks. You know, I tried to do right by my family. You know, I tried to keep a job and provide for my family. But see, the world would have you think that that's what it takes. The world would have you think that this big scale is up in heaven and all, and your bad stuff's over here and your good stuff is over here. And if you can just get that, oh, just get that scale. If you can just get that scale to tip on the good side, you're going to heaven. You know what the Bible, the scripture says about that? God says that your good works is as filthy rags to him. Not that we shouldn't do good works, but no matter how much good we do, it doesn't erase all of this bad. It don't get rid of it. It's still there. It's still hanging off of us. And when God looks at us, he still sees, he still sees that sin that we've committed in our life. And let me tell you something you might not know. God will never allow sin into heaven. He'll never allow it. So what's the answer you say? Okay, so, so this is the answer. This is God's plan. It's for his son, Jesus Christ, to live upon this earth sinless. Never lied, never lusted, never stole nothing, never cheated, never had an ulterior motive about what he was doing. And that's why it was only him that was able to pay for our sins. So here it is. There's only one way. Jesus said that no one can come to the Father except through Him. That's the only way. And it's because of His shed blood that was shed on Calvary that washes us and cleanses us 
from everything that we've ever done wrong. The scripture says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, to become a Christian and to become a child of God, it does not depend on your past. It depends on where you want to go in the future. And I'll even say that it doesn't depend on your next 20 or 30 or 40 years. But there's a greater hope ahead of us. And it's called eternity. And it's called heaven. Amen. Amen. If you've never received Christ, Lord and Savior, I ask you to come today. Make a change in your life. Not on your own. But let God change you from the inside out. Amen. It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.